Hi everyone, thanks for joining us on The Cooler Ring. This week, I'm pleased to present another fantastic episode from The Cooler Ring Vault, but more on that in just a minute. Part of the reason that we've been re-airing these classic episodes of the show is because our audience today is different than it was when we started the show, and it's much larger, and there's a greater opportunity for people to hear things that they haven't necessarily heard before. We want more marketers, that manufacturers, to have an opportunity to hear these voices, and Carmen and I are preparing a number of new episodes right now that we're going to be releasing really soon. In the meantime, we're also really interested in hearing from you, our listeners. Are you a manufacturing marketer with a story to tell? We'd love to chat with you about it and see how we can build a show around your leadership and the war stories that often go with it. You can email podcast at coolapartners.com and we'll get back to you to set up a time for a call. Don't worry, we won't be recording that conversation. It's just a 15-minute call to get acquainted and see if there's something that we can build a show about. We'll also link to our guide to being a guest on the show notes page, so be sure to hit up coolapartners.com and visit the podcast section of the site if you're interested. This episode with Cynthia Kellum of TE Connectivity is just terrific. It really speaks to the importance of properly understanding and valuing your product data and the effort required to keep it up to date or just to have it at all. The first best time to properly catalog and augment your product content was decades ago, probably. The second best time to do it is today. Cynthia tells a great story about how TE approached this monumental task, and there's a lot of great lessons to be learned from marketers faced with the same issues. Enjoy. You're listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White. Joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, mate? All is well. All is well in you. I'm doing good. Yeah. It's good. Uh, all right. Well, are we going to do a show today? I think we should. I think we have a really interesting person to talk to today. And I, and I mean, we, we often say that, but I, I love talking to people who come at things from a UX and CX perspective. It just like it's, it's close. Wasn't know? it Conan O'Brien that every time he started a show, he said that this show is going to be like the best ever. We got the best guests lined up for you today. But it was every, every show. Well, I mean, you can have continuous know. improvement, you know. This is true. Yeah. This is true. <laughs> uh, no, I, I agree. I think um, what I... What I love about um, uh, today's conversation, in, in addition to just the, the level of, of depth of knowledge and expertise of today's guest, is um, I, I like this notion. So, you know, we often uh, speak to manufacturers who are, you know, small to medium-sized manufacturers, and they're um, you know, they're, they're looking to grow via niche categories and they maybe look at some of the very large manufacturers and think that their world is very different. Yeah. And I loved in talking to today's guest in the preparation for the show, this like, oh, no, it's actually serving smaller niche markets is what drives their growth too. It's yeah. like a, it, it, it may well just be universal across all manufacturers in some way that that's where the growth lies. And I think the lessons from today's guests can be applied across the wide uh, range of uh, organizations, scales of organizations to help people do just that. So, yeah, no, I, I it's, it's really interesting to consider, I'm, you know, uh, to, uh, to be selling to both large organizations and small and medium business. It's, it's fantastic. So joining us today is Cynthia Kellum. Cynthia is the Global Senior Director of Digital Customer Experience at TE Connectivity. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Cynthia. 
Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Cynthia, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I wonder if we can just uh, let's start with a, a brief introduction to just tell our listeners a bit more about you and 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 in case they don't know TE Connectivity, maybe uh, let them know that too. Sure, I'll start with TE Connectivity. So TE is a large global industrial technology and manufacturing company. Um, we got about eighty thousand employees around the world. We're truly global. Um, we make about make and sell about 270 billion products a year sensors and connectors uh, that go into pretty much any connected application you can think of whether it's a car or an airplane or a cell phone or a data center uh, or a dishwasher so um and we employ a lot of engineers that's really at the heart uh, of our of our company and uh, I lead digital customer experience, and I'm the head of the dig head of digital at TE. So I'm responsible for um, TE.com and our roadmap and digital product management, and customer experience, and customer journey for TE. And I've got to say, to say you're responsible for TE.com uh, is just um, burying the lead a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Like the the notion of consolidating 900 sites to get there is. Um, uh, this seems like a bit of a bigger deal. Yeah, tell us a bit about your experience because you, you have some interesting uh, depth of experience kind of that you brought into TE and then kind of let us know a little bit about your journey because you've been there for about seven and a half years. That's right. Yeah. So I joined TE about seven and a half years ago um, as part of a team to help drive some digital transformation. Um, TE is a company that's grown through acquisitions, continues to go through many acquisitions over the years. And what I walked into was a digital footprint that had well over 900 different microsites, right? So we've got uh, three different major business segments, at the time over 10 different business units, and each one was kind of doing their own thing when it came to came to the web. And so we um, joined a team responsible for defining a, a future digital strategy uh, that started with and was going to be centered on a single destination. So um, we put in a lot of work around helping to uh, help the company understand what the value and opportunity was around that single destination. And uh, we discovered very early on that one of the key parts of that was going to be our product data and taxonomy, having a single um, organization of all of our products, a single system. And that started about seven years ago, but it's been a journey that's continued since then. And in fact, we just recently finished a major initiative uh, that continued to work on standardizing and normalizing our product data and taxonomy. My goodness, I've got to say, um, you know, just congratulations before we get into the product data side of this, of even still having a job after seven years of consolidating 900 sites. That would be, or a, even wanting it, that would be a career ender for a few people, I think. Yeah. What was the makeup of the team that you joined when, uh, when you came in to start this project? So it was a pretty small team that was primarily at, at that time focused on what I'd call more digital operations. So it was a team that was focused on delivering on what those, you know, 10 plus different business units requested. So more focused on delivery, not so much on digital strategy. So a big part of the, uh, the focus that we had early on also was building up a talented team that could focus more on strategic leadership for digital at TE, again, focusing on that communication, helping to grow awareness around the importance of having that single destination. Um, you know, why we, um, why having 900 different microsites was, was hurting us ultimately, hurting our customer experience, hurting our brand visibility and awareness, you know, driving, creating more confusion than anything else. 
And um, and that wasn't a, a quick effort either. You know, that take a, took a number of years. Um, and we ultimately uh, created a team that was focused on, again, as I mentioned, kind of product data and taxonomy, uh, built up a UX, a user experience design practice, uh, built up a content strategy team to really help um, create a federated content uh, creation and content management pr process for the company. Um, and we were working with, so I mentioned 10 plus different business units, a central digital organization, but very closely aligned with a marketing organization that had marketing teams in each one of those different business groups. And so we had to, um, we, we used to call it, uh, we needed to create flexibility within the framework, right? So we were creating a centralized framework, a centralized strategy, a centralized information architecture for the website. Um, and we really had to empower our um, business unit, marketing partners and colleagues and product managers to um, create product content and marketing content that was going to meet their customers' needs, but also fit and align into this unified, centralized framework. And align towards that North Star that you've really articulated that, um, look, I should just leave you to do it, but I, maybe I'll try to speak it back at the very least, that it, this North Star that, that you've talked about it be, as being at the intersection of, of rich product information and technical expertise combined with customer uh, and market insights and the applications and use cases that those customers are, are, are bringing uh, your products to bear. In. I mean, it, did I capture that correctly? Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think one of the unique differentiators that TE brings to the market in general is that we have a very broad set of products and we serve a broad set of industries. I mentioned some of them at the beginning of this podcast, right? So we're in many different industries and applications. We've got over 380,000 parts and SKUs on our, on our website. And so it's a very broad set of products. And some of those products are used in many different types and a variety of types of applications. And so, um, and we have a lot of deep technical expertise. So with some of our with some of our customers, we literally co-locate co our engineers with um, engineering teams at a client, and we work with them on highly engineered solutions for certain types of uh, complex applications. And so the the North Star vision we have around our end to end customer experience is that we harness that rich data and engineering expertise along with deep insights about our customers, about the markets that they're in, about the applications and problems that they're trying to solve. And we're able to deliver um, highly relevant, high quality um, communications and experiences throughout that throughout their journey. And that's enabled all through digital. So whether the customer is interacting with us on te.com and they're looking for product information and we're able to based on previous behavior, know that they're working in a certain application space and therefore prioritize certain types of products to in their search results, or if they're speaking with a customer care um, agent on our side, we would serve up to that customer care agent kind of expertise and recommendations for them to provide to the customer that are based on that same type of insight. So it's really combining, again, that rich uh, product data and expertise along with customer insight uh, for highly relevant experiences, no matter how you interact with us, whether that's through a, a human channel or through a digital channel. 
And I, I uh, well, first off, I mean, uh, the great thing about a North Star is that uh, it sounds lovely. And uh, so, and and what you just articulated, I think, is uh, in many ways where a lot of people would love to get to. And I know that the journey is still kind of underway. Where are we at with that? So have you largely um, cracked the nut of product data standardization at this point? And have, got, have you gotten over that hurdle? That's where we started. So a couple of years uh, back, we um, we were we as a digital team, um, and I'm sure other folks that work in digital can, um, can this will resonate. We fielded a lot of questions from our internal partners about why is it so hard to find X Y Z in the website? Why can't I find this product? You know, it should be easier. Um, can't we be like Google? <laughs> right? <laughs> um, oh my God. <laughs> if I just built all the sites my clients have asked for that were just supposed to work like Google, I'd be rich by now. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, we dug into a lot of the customer feedback. We did a we did numerous, numerous customer interviews. And what we found when we when we looked at the type of feedback and, and you know, individual cases uh, where customers were having issues is that, um, you know, our search engine could could be a bit better, but really the problem was the data didn't exist. You know, the cost the customers were looking for for products using data that wasn't in our systems. It wasn't um, standardized. It wasn't normalized. It wasn't able to be powering that search experience and allowing the customer to find it. And so we used to say, you know, the best search engine in the world can't can't help you find a product that has no data, right? I mean, you need to have that data there. And so we. Um, initiated a program to really dramatically transform the quality and completeness of our product data. We uh, created a metric to evaluate the quality of our product data and um, and also to improve and increase the number of products that we had um, published on our website. So going back a, a year ago, we only had about 260,000 products. As I mentioned, we now have over 380,000 products. And we went from a product data quality score of about 17% to now over 94%. So we really made you know, tremendous progress around the quality of our product information. And the things that we looked at are things like, you know, have you filled in your navigational attributes? So a navigational attribute is basically the data that allows the part to be found if you're using uh, filters on a, in a search engine or through navigation. And we part of this was just educating our product managers and engineers to say, look, if you don't fill in the color of that cable, and a customer is trying to find a cable that's red, then your product is doesn't exist. It's invisible. It literally does not exist. And really helping to connect the customer experience to that engineering data that in large part should be created way at the beginning of the cycle. It's created in our engineering systems. Um, and um, so it was a lot of education, um, a lot of communication, and again, a lot of progress. So we've, uh, I think we're now kind of at a sustenance mode with our product data. Uh, we've, as I said, we're up at that 94% product data quality level. Um, three things we put in place to help maintain that quality is one, we have these um, dashboards that help the businesses kind of understand and continue to monitor the quality of what they're creating. Number two is that we established a centralized product data uh, governance uh, team that's going to uh, continue to exist and help uh, drive quality standards and governance and imp continuously improve process over time um, at an enterprise level across our 10 different business units. And then number three is we really focused on NPI, which is what we call new product introduction, right? To make sure that any new product entering better be 100% perfect, right? If we're, if we're putting new products into the system and they're only 50%, 
then two years from now, we're going to go back to having to do a massive cleanup again. And so it was really important to us that we kind of maintain those, those standards and be very rigorous for anything brand new. And as you've brought those additional SKUs to the site and enriched that product data, made it more accurate and complete, I, I, I'm assuming you've seen the um, you've seen the impact just in the uh, the, uh, the difference in the way people experience and navigate and use the site. Absolutely. So some of the key metrics that we were um, had set for this initiative around a, something we call organic product findability. And that was what we were really trying to impact. So when we think about organic product findability, it's both the degree to which our customers can find our products directly through external search engines, and also the degree, the ease with which customers can navigate to products on our site, whether they get to the site through organic means or not. And so we saw about an 18% increase in product organic product findability. And even in this past year, you know, COVID times when a lot of our marketing activities have been, um, uh, we've pulled back on them. We haven't been doing trade shows. We haven't been doing major brand campaigns. We've continued to see an increase in organic findability of our products due to the focus that we put on this core product data. Um, so we're very happy about what we've achieved around our product. Uh, and really the next phase we'd be, we'll be focusing on more so in order to, to make progress towards that North Star is around our master, master customer data and around the in, insights and intelligence that we need to use um, to deliver uh, relevancy in the experience to the customer. Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's bit.ly slash sample ABM. I want to come back to the customer data side of things because I think it's very interesting and very probably a, a bit more um, of an elevated topic over, over just having good quality product data, which is kind of like an of course, but yet so many organizations aren't even close to there. Um, but I love the idea and I, I don't want to, I didn't want to miss out on an opportunity to chat about this, but the, this idea that you're not only impacting your own findability through the navigation structure and the information architecture and internal systems, but to also be designing your data in such a way that it is as accessible as possible by systems you don't create or control that are outside of, of TE.com. I mean, that's, you know, Google has always said that supposedly that uh, content created in the way that customers want to, that people want to experience it will always rise to the top. But of course, as anyone who's worked within uh, the web before, you know, it's not always the case, but it's nice to hear that you've kind of cracked the, the code a little bit and been able to enrich that data to a point that, you know, no matter how somebody's searching for it, whether it's Google or Bing or DuckDuckGo or, or whatever, that they're able to find you and find exactly what they're looking for. Well, we, we hope so. That's the goal. And in fact, for, for, our, for our business and for our customers, engineers, you know, um, they do often like to go to the, the core manufacturer to look for product data, but they also go to a lot of um, industry search engine verticals. So for us, that might be a company like Octopart, um, where they're going to look for product information where they're going to find not just TE products, but some of our competitor products or other products, right, that might ultimately go together in the same application. And so we very much are thinking about 
you know, how do we create product data that can be syndicated and leveraged by these other third parties where our customers are as well, right? Because at the end of the day, we want our customers to find TE products, whether they find them on our website or not, it doesn't really matter. I mean, they could be a distributor website. So distributors are big and key partners for us as well. Uh, they want that rich data as well so that they can serve their customers. So um, so it is really important that we're, we're really focused on just, again, high quality um, classified data that is really an, has an outside in um, approach, right? It can't just be organized in a way that makes sense to us internally. It really needs to be customer focused. And, uh, you know, I don't know, Jeff. I mean, you say that the product data is an obvious one, but it is very hard <laughs> not to crack, oh. uh, especially with 380,000 SKUs. Yeah, I uh, mean, to add 10,000 SKUs a month yeah. <laughs> between last year and this year alone is just it massive. It's significant. And and uh, and I think the tougher nut is uh, still to be cracked in some way. I'm curious about the layering on of the customer insights and and that distinction maybe in some way between customers that are known to TE versus prospects that are unknown and how we're looking to evolve over time so that we can understand or anticipate the applications that a prospect might have when they're not an existing customer today. Um, I guess talk to me about that, Cynthia. I'm curious how we're how we're gonna I'm, I'm curious how we're gonna fix this problem. It's a good question. I'm not sure yet. You know, we're at the beginning of this journey and there's also a lot of privacy and security concerns here that we need to kind of watch out for. Um, so I think I would say that um, for us, we're focused on our, our direct customers with whom we have established relationships. It should be easier for us to make the connection um, between, you know, an account and this really account based personalization where we understand this account, we understand what types of products uh, you're, you're, you've purchased from us. We also should be able to understand what kind of products you your employees are looking at and, and kind of engaging with on their website. Uh, we know what kind of applications you're working on. We know what phone calls you've had with our customer care team, what chats you've had with our servicing team, right? All of that information we should be able to bring together and begin to um, predict what you, what you need next and actually what different roles at the company might need next, what an engineer might need versus what a compliance person needs when they, when they call us or chat us or, or chat with us or come on the website. You're right that with an unknown or kind of more anonymous or early prospect, it's going to be a little bit more challenging. And so, um, again, we're at the beginning of the journey, but just kind of, ba again, basics uh, for us, which you might see, you, all of us have come to come to expect on B2C websites, but for B2B, I mean, doing things like presenting, you know, your recently viewed products on our homepage. It's amazing how many um websites in our space competitor companies don't do basic personalization. And so we see some of that as just some of the early steps we're going to start taking to um, provide a more relevant experience, make it easier for these prospects to get come back and engage with us, find the products they looked at last time, maybe take the next step in their journey towards evaluating that product. Maybe we serve up the, the suggestion that they might want to order a sample, um, that type of thing based on um, you know, ba based on their cookie, um, or if we can get them to register with us uh, or do a basic form fill, then we can maybe have a little bit more information, a little bit more personalization in that experience. One of the other things that I think is a bit interesting too is, you know, as a company with so many products and so many, you know, similar products or replacement products, you know, in a lot of cases, somebody's coming to your site and looking for something and maybe there's a newer version of that or whatever. How are you, how are you enabling them to find things that maybe 
better value for uh, you know for you as an organization or a better fit for that customer like the the cross um, linkages of, of product data must be a very big part of, of what you're doing here. Yeah, so great question. Um, that is an area that we talk about and look at quite a bit. We started to tackle that as part of our that foundational product data initiative I mentioned, um, but it's work that continues. So part of it is really a um, data management question where we should be as a practice have, you know, a product's going obsolete, you should have a replacement product in place. Um, today, we also do have uh, some al algorithm-based product recommendations that serve up similar products. Again, a pretty, you know, it's an everyday feature that you expect to see on a B2C website. If you're searching for, if you're shopping for a new refrigerator, you expect that a website is going to say, hey, you're looking at this refrigerator, here's similar refrigerators. They have similar characteristics. And those are based on attributes, which are that core product data to begin with. So we do that today. Um, however, I and it continues to be an area where I think we we need we could improve. I do think adding that customer layer of intelligence is going to help us do it even better, because the same product could be used in three different applications, and uh, an uh, an acceptable alternative um, for uh, an appliance may be different than an acceptable alternative for a. Um, drone. So, uh, you know, having being able to layer in that customer intelligence and insight will help us get better and better. Um, and we're going to have to le leverage machine learning. I mean, there's no way we can focus on just manually maintaining that kind of data. Um, we will need to start uh, leveraging more and more AI to help us uh, predict what is the best match uh, for that customer. And um, so, so yeah, that that's something that we're looking at going forward and spending more time on going forward. Yeah, the other thing, of course, you know, part of the reason TE was so big and had 900 plus sites to begin with was that you know, as a as a manufacturer, you're of course acquiring other other companies and and bringing them into the fold. That presents a whole new realm of uh, of product data and other information. How have you helped? to onboard, you know, new acquisitions and bring their product data into your system. And, you know, is, is that a, is, is it usually a lot of products or <laughs> like, are you adding tens of thousands per, uh, per acquisition or, or, or what? So it can vary, it can vary pretty widely. And I would say historically, um, we, we didn't focus enough time on onboarding the products. And that's part of the reason we had to do such a significant effort, um, around product data, uh, because a lot of those, um, those acquisitions, the data was kind of added in as net new categories or net new um, attribute types and things like that, rather than doing what what is hard work, right? And we've heard it described internally as shoveling mud of kind of looking through and saying, actually, that attribute is the same as this attribute. It's just described slightly differently. You know, we have to get those two different business units to agree that it's the same. And, uh, you know, to benefit the customer, let's make it the same. You both need to compromise a little bit and you have to agree on the, the values that are going to come up underneath it. We're going to normalize your data to that new standardized um, type that that work did not happen. And that's how, I mean, I, I have to share, like we had a category where of our connectors category, our, our largest kind of L1 category in our taxonomy, we eliminated nearly over 40% of our navigational attributes, well, well over 450 navigational attributes in our navigation because they were essentially redundant. And those existed because no one was doing that normalization and standardization. 
um, which again, is it, it's hard in of itself. But then when you have to get negotiating different businesses who have different opinions about what they think the label should be, um, it's a lot of it's a lot of work. So going forward, um, we that's part of the reason we established the central product data governance team. That's going to be the role that they play. Um, and but each acquisition is different. So in some cases, it's more or less urgent to do that onboarding. You know, within the first year or two. In other cases, um, it may it, you know a, a, a company may continue to have a, a separate website that exists for a period of time until until it's important to do that that integration. Is it red ochre or is it brown? What, what are we calling this? <laughs> yeah, we used to joke we have like raspberry, red. You know, it's like, who, what engineer decided to use raspberry as the color oh. for this? <laughs> the one who just bought a new car in raspberry. Red. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's about the only explanation. There, really, there isn't, isn't much more. No. Uh. I was going to give another example, you know. Um, we joke about that, but in some cases, those those variants that variance is important for certain industries. So, in some cases, you know, certain industries, the use of certain words or labels is really essential, and it needs to be different in order for it to be relevant for customers or engineers that work in that specific space. And so, one of the things that we're actually in the process of launching is a um, what we call a merchandising layer to our taxonomy. So we have a classification layer, which is really what we call our kind of core business standardized, normalized data categories and attributes. But we're adding a merchandising layer of taxonomy that allows us to then present those same products in, in what might be application-specific presentation uh, modes and also use even application-specific language and labels. Um, and it's, again, just more front, uh, more uh, presentation layer just for the front end. But it means that we have both a more simpler classification categories and taxonomy for our engineers to work in. But then on the front end, we have more flexibility to present that same data in different ways, depending on who the end customer is or you know who the end industry is. Um, so we're really excited about that because it allows us, again, to really simplify what our engineers have to manage while providing the flexibility we need um, to, to appear differently across what is a very wide uh, and diverse set of end customers. My God, the information architecture geek in me is completely losing it right now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, uh, I was, I guess, as we've been having this conversation, Cynthia, um, uh, and and I, I'm very impressed with the um, level and depth of the work that's been going on here. And um, I'm and you mentioned at one point, uh, of course, comparing to a B two C experience. But um, I'm wondering, who do you look up to as you've been undertaking this work seven years in? Um, is there a company out there in the manufacturing B two B space? that you look at and say, man, they've got some things figured out that we still need to figure out? Or do you draw most of your inspiration from that consumer side? Honestly, I draw more of my inspiration from consumer side. Yeah, I haven't. Um, I do think there's some interesting things happening. I'm drawing a blank on the name of the company where there's a little bit more around configuration um, I think that's something that we're still, you know, we're we're trying to figure out too, um, where we want to provide more uh, real-time configuration capability to our to our customers, so that they can really um, uh, work on the art of what's possible with some of our products. 
and uh, which which did require us to do this core data work as well. Anyway, right? We still need that as the foundation to really have true configuration. So I'd see there's a couple out there that have some interesting things happening around configuration. Um, but other than that, uh, we typically look outside our space for for inspiration um, around customer experience. Who's doing it well? Outside of our space. We're putting you on the spot yeah, now. I think we and we started this that our listeners need to know with a with a disclaimer that we no longer did trivia on the cooler ring <laughs> after it's having really our arse handed to us by an ex Jeopardy champ. Um, and uh, and here we are, like quizzing a guest like mad here. But anyway, we'll see. We'll see where it, Cynthia. Do you want to answer? Or do you want to tell us to pound sand? Uh, I have to, I feel like I need, I would need to rack my brain more to think about it. Um, and it would, I'd probably, you know, it'd probably be different companies for different things around, um, you know, and I'm every I'd say, you know, um, Amazons of the world for the degree to which uh, the, um, the servicing is pretty, pretty interesting. Um, oh gosh. Yeah. I'm gonna, I can't answer. I don't know. I'd have to think more about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's we'll have to have you on in another episode where we just talk about the things you draw inspiration or, from, or, or we just, uh, or, or we just completely continue to fire top <laughs> trivia questions. We're not going to be able to get guests anymore. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I so I mean, I so I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I'm usually impressed by kind of micro experiences where I'm like, oh, that. I, thank you so much for doing that thing. And so you know, I a, a year and a half ago, I decided to give a try to a Google Pixel phone just because I've been using different types of phones. And sometimes I'm, I like to kind of try something different. And you know, two things that I really liked that were unexpected was one that there's an automated way to have my phone um, answer a call and ask the person on the phone, you know, automatically, hey, give me your name and why you're calling. And it tells me and it writes it out so I can just hang up if I'm not interested or I can sit, then pick up the phones. It's basically like an answering service that automatically just uh, answers any phone call that looks like it could be spam and that's unrecognized. That was really unexpected and very nice. Number two, it automatically looks for contact uh, redundancies in my, in my contact database and recommends, hey, do you want to just merge those two? And it does it. And again, this is simple stuff, but it's basic data um, automated opportunities to just make my life easier. Um, and I appreciate that. And I just think, you know, companies, we're so awash in data. We have so much information. Um, and we have so much opportunity to make our customers' lives easier by automating certain things and serving up recommendations and next best actions. And um, that's really going to be the the future of uh, customer experience are all those things. So I'm impressed when companies do that because I know how hard it is. It's not easy, um, but uh, that's what usually impresses me. And uh, what what are the best ways I ever heard of uh, uh, how to describe those kinds of situations was uh, from Dharmesh Shah, uh, the CTO at HubSpot. And he said, you know, they're just those moments of delight where you don't expect you know, to see that kind of thing that just makes your life a little bit more interesting, a little bit easier. Um, and it's not anticipated in a corporate environment. So yep. I, yeah, no, I, I like that a lot. 
and I feel like I've um, this is yet again more proof that I need to expand my phone horizons since my only purchase criteria for a phone forever is then what's the newest one that Apple sells, <laughs> and um, and I, I'm clearly just missing out on a bunch of things. People have been telling me this for a while, yeah, and uh, and I felt like a stick in the mud for so there you go. I know this isn't turning into a great promo for Apple, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, Cynthia, it's, it's been a real pleasure to uh, to hear about what you're doing at TE, and uh, thanks very much for joining us on The Cooler Ring. Uh, thanks so much for having me. It was a fun, fun conversation. All the best. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash thecoolerring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash thecoolerring.